welcome to How to Deal When the Shit Gets Real podcast. I'm Rietta. And I'm Connie. And today we are here with Matt Stack. So Matt, how do you deal when the shit gets real? Or just tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> yes. Good to uh, be here. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. So quickest bio on me and then how to deal when the shit gets real. Originally from Miami, Florida, grew up in a little town called Eden, North Carolina, and then uh, was just a pothead partying smoking kid out there and then joined you know i can remember my parents working i was working at blockbuster video and oh my oh, god blockbuster. those are the days <laughs> this was like this was golden eye n64 days so this oh was my like, god i was in heaven mm -hmm. um and i remember my parents were thinking oh you need to save up your money and i was like oh i'm just gonna join the military i just want to party and travel so i don't know why i thought military military this is what i'm doing i'm just gonna <laughs> all right know, drink and party and travel and i can still see the staff sergeant running out of the recruiting office you know in the parking lot yelling hey there hard charger and then you know <laughs> my dad and i walking in to talk with him and then 20 minutes later i knew i wanted to be a marine more than anything and so that was a long time ago. That was 1999. So fast forward. They didn't tell years. you we don't party. <laughs> yeah, they lie. They're like, oh, yeah, just sign your name right here. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. And, you know, the Marine Corps was probably the best, one of the best decisions I think I ever made. But we rag on it now. It's like having a sibling. You know, you tell people, you know, you love them. You would do anything for them. But you also kind of hate them. You know, like, yes, it's like a love hate that. thing. So that's a that's a good way to describe it. I like it. Yes. You know, like, I don't like people talking shit on my family unless they're in the family. But if you're in the family, then you get the rights to trash talk all you want. So it's, it's how it is. So I still love it. Um, and then out here, moved my family out to Colorado Springs. Um, my wife, Jen, and I just celebrated. Well, not just celebrated, I guess we're at 11 and a half years of marriage. Woo! So she is my soulmate and just my hot mama. I just love her. And uh, oh. <laughs> I love it. Having a spouse that you like, I think is probably more important than someone you can love, like just someone that you like. And so mm -hmm. she's awesome. Um, gave birth to beautiful, four beautiful kids. And we're out here in Colorado Springs uh, where we launched a business and we go oh, to what's church. the business. Yeah. So we launched a company called Gobi. And what it is, is we have always been, or I have always been obsessed with I guess you could say like a community fueled business. So mm -hmm. you look at like the LinkedIn's and the Turo's and the Airbnb's and the Facebook's, you know, it's all fueled by the community. So we had the same idea for outdoor gear where mm, nice. you have all this gear in your garage, just collecting dust, mountain bikes that aren't getting used, snowboards, skis, kayaks. And we built an app. We, well, we paid a good amount of money to build an app and yep. let people list their gear and then you get someone coming into town, they you can just rent it out to people. And that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. So we're in the process of doing that, learning so much. And um, yeah, so now we're navigating the you know, the business life and the job life and the home life and the church life. I mean, we're just living on the edge, you know, like <laughs> we'll be watching Coco Melon later. I mean, we're <laughs> with a glass of wine, it's fine. Yeah, more more like Bluey. Bluey's probably right up. Bluey there. is where it's at. Coco Melon is insanity. Yes. The Bluey Sorry. wasn't really a thing when, or maybe it was, but I don't think it was when my kid was smaller. No, it's so. pretty recent. Okay, yeah, it wasn't really yeah. a thing. So there's only like three. Now. Yeah, there's only like three season that, seasons out. The reason why people talk about it a lot is because it's like it models good parenting and yeah. good child behavior yeah. at the same time so right, like cool, it's like cool. oh it's a show that parents can like too oh we we're, we obsess over it it's weird and <laughs> although although it does backfire because my son was like dad louie's dad every time his kid comes up and asks him to play he'll stop working so that he can play with them and i'm like and you're like dang it it doesn't work like that though yeah it's like <laughs> i'm gonna be like louie's dad and i'm getting shown up here by an australian shepherd like yes the we've reached the level now where we're like we watch like the mandalorian and lego masters together like that's what we watch <laughs> love it that's great oh. i'm looking forward to that oh it's the best it's i fun. had a hard time in the young baby phase navigating it but now that they're like getting older and you can 
like my and daughter. you can share the stuff that uh, you like and like today my daughter like from pre-k brought me like a father's day early presents like the best thing ever and so and i uh, love it I totally derailed like how how do i deal I don't know. Sometimes I just have to go in my room alone and pray and be like, Lord, help me. I am like mm -hmm. at my wits end. And I think it's hard when you have a spouse because you will you'll each hit your wits end at different times. And yeah. neither one will have empathy for the other one. When yes, <laughs> it's true. My wife solved it the other day. I've never heard anything. She goes, you know what I realized is as a spouse, you can only have empathy for your friend's spouses. Like we'll go have dinner with someone and they'll be like, oh, John worked, you know, eight hours and 10 hours today. And then he came home and gave the kids a bath. And my wife will be like, oh, my gosh, you must work so hard. And you're like, dude, did the same the thing like nothing. But then it's like it's, you can only have empathy for the other person's spouse. It's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Totally random. I, I can kind of understand that. That was a very random realization right there. All right. You know, cool. Let's ro we're rolling well, with it. Because you're already in the thick of it with the other adult and oh. you can't step. It's harder to step outside of a person's relationship versus just seeing your friend's relationship and be like, oh, you're doing so yeah. great. Because oh. I can yes. get that because my... um my friend had a baby the same time I had a baby. And um, like I'll be like, oh, he does so much more than Tom but then I like step out of it and I'm like no because I can leave my son and be comfortable leaving my son with my husband she can't she yeah. like it drives her wild she can't leave she like it like I'm sure he'd be a great dad and he'd be fine at it but like she has the reins real tight and I'm like no see it's fine I can leave he knows everything I can leave the baby and like next weekend I'm gonna go to my friend's birthday party and it's fine so like no no Connie don't don't even have those thoughts because yeah. yeah. you're wrong actually that yeah. actually but sounds it takes minutes to do that. That actually sounds more like a her problem than a him, oh, it, him problem. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. But I was like, don't, don't get down because that they're different relationships. Cause yeah. I'm not I'm not letting I'm letting him have as much responsibility as I have. I'm not like, nope, I have to have control of everything. See, yes. I'm like the other way around. People will be like, man, my husband's been gone for two days. And I'm like, homie, I don't want to hear it. My husband leaves for six months at a time. I have yeah. no sympathy for you. <laughs> That's the truth right there. Like, I don't know how military wives, like y'all are the the saints. I don't even understand. Like that's, that's next level right there. Like I, my last job, I would travel for work, but I'd only be gone four days at a time. And, but six months, that's like, so props, respect. That's. Yes. That's you almost well, you, thank you even for the relationships. You almost I'm almost thankful my wife has some Jerry Springer level friendships of people she follows <laughs> on social media. It just like brings that. me That's back hilarious. into like good light. It's like she'll be like, like oh my I'm gosh, good. thank Kid, goodness not you're not like so and so. And I'll be like, Yes. Oh, you're welcome. Jerry Springer. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 All the Chicago kids didn't know what to do in the middle of the day anymore. But anyway. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah. While sick at home. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, tell us about your time in the Marine Corps. You said you loved it, but give us more of the your time in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so went into Paris Island around 1999. So, you know, great, great era went joined. And I just had my world rocked. I had no idea about anything. I mean, I was I mean, I played sports in high school, but I was not prepared mentally and physically and you just go and just have your world rocked. I think I I spent most of the time just like trying not to get singled out. You know, you kind of wonder, oh yeah, oh, please don't single me out like for anything. But I can tell you, I I had a lot of people betting against me when I joined. I remember, I think I I told you all, yeah, my high school like busted out laughing when they announced my name that I was going to join the Marines, and then. I remember going to the thing where you do the doctor, you sit in front of the doctor and you have to do all the jumping jacks. Yeah. Like, and the dude um, who was running at the old doctor, he looked like just this, I mean, he was just this old ornery guy. And I remember him telling me, he's like, you shouldn't, basically you shouldn't join. You're not going to make it. Like I watched how you responded. Wow. I watched how you responded. He had pulled me aside to be like, I watched how you responded to the, 
uh, commands and how you responded to everything. I don't think it's for you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. Wow. And that's ballsy. Like, Dang. And then I had an allergy to peanuts and they wouldn't let me join because of that. So then I had to get a waiver for a freaking peanut allergy. It was the most. That's wow. Oh yeah. And then at the time I had a serious girlfriend, we had been dating for gosh, probably like a year in high school. And her dad was an old Vietnam vet. And he, I can't remember if I overheard him or he told her, but he said, Matt will never make it. And that like crushed me because I'd known him for a year. Like I'd been dating his daughter. So to kind of have like the school and this doctor, I kind of went in as like, man, like, you know, you get all like motivated. Yeah. Yeah. So, Everybody underestimating you. Yeah. And so yeah, really I, not to toot the horn, but I, I remember coming out as an honor grad as, as the honor grad for my platoon. And it was kind Good of like, you. A, just like, a, you know, stick it back <laughs> in their faces a bit Love like, you know, cause I remember I wanted to be a Marine more than anything. Like I would have, I, whatever they wanted me to do, I would have done it. And so I just, I was sold. I was all in. I was like, man, I remember thinking you get all dramatic as a kid. I remember thinking like, oh man, if I don't make it, I'm just going to like sneak home and grab my stuff and leave. I'll be too <laughs> like, and so I'll that pretend kind of that like, I'm in the Marines still. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so that was like a nice, like, I guess, blessing coming in of like, just feeling like I had something there, but I remember going, I wanted to be an, I wanted to be an EOD. They told me, oh, you know what? You got to go aviation ordinance. Well, when you get to your school, just tell them you want EOD. So I did. I was like, yeah, let's do that. And I get to my school and I'm like, hey, I want to be EOD. They're like, cool. Wait till your next enlistment because you can't do it now. And I remember going. Oh, That's not what they told me. <laughs> someone told me this. Like, but I mean, I, if your recruiter didn't lie to you, did you even serve? I mean, I don't think it's like <laughs> I ended up in Iwakuni, Japan for a couple of years and loved ordinance. I ended up loving it. Amazingly close unit that's kind of separate from a lot of the divisions in aviation and loved it. Got to spend time in Japan. 9-11 hit uh, when I was over there. So we ended up going to Guam to stage for the war. Then we went to Kuwait. Um, Kuwait? Sorry. Kuwait. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was oh, I was I was rhyming. I was just being a smart ass. You're going to Kuwait to wait. <laughs> oh, yes. That's... <laughs> About right, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's a ton of that. And then um, ended up in San Diego my last year in Miramar. And I'll be honest, I felt like I was a little out of my league. I'm not very like technically minded. And I think there's a lot of aspects of my job where I was really insecure and I was trying to fake it. And I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And I didn't want people to know that I didn't know what I was doing, that I didn't understand a lot of the technical aspects that other guys in my unit did. So there's a lot of insecurities and things that came up that I had to navigate and leadership aspects I had to learn. There's just, I looking back now, I wish I would have done some things differently because gosh, I was just so young and dumb. Um, but and I, your recruiter I, lied. <laughs> and my recruiter lied. So yeah, like, and I never even saw the dude again after I got signed up. I don't, of I don't course not. Yeah. Like, so long of it short, I ended up in San Diego my last year and I wanted to stay in Japan um, for my final year. And my gunner at the time was like, no, because at the time I was dating this girl. She was like a Brazilian Japanese girl who was going through orthodontics. Yeah, she was a beautiful girl. Like she was going through orthodontic school over there. Like we had a great relationship, like a serious thing going. And my gunner was like, yeah, no, you're not staying here another year. You need to see other parts of the core. And he sent me to San Diego. And I remember being like devastated, like, oh my gosh. And then ended up falling in love with San Diego. Um, got out in 03 and didn't know what I was going to do. And I remember just looking back at all the places I've traveled and the things I've done and the people I had met. Oh, it was one of the best decisions I ever made was joining the Marine Corps. I would look, I would do it again in a heartbeat. How did so you end up in Colorado monster. Springs then? Like where did Colorado, like, how did you, did you just like you're point like, in a map and, and you're like, that one. Yeah. No, I, so right around the, I'll try to tell it quickly back in like Oh five, I got invited to a great church. So I, I became a Christian in the Marine Corps, but I was worse off afterwards than before. I mean, I was still sleeping around and doing whatever I wanted and I just felt empty inside and I didn't understand. Like, it's like, there's this weird shaped hole in me. And then I got saved and it felt it, but I still 
I was just doing all this stuff. And um, one of my buddies in the Marine Corps, he just happened to be with me in every flipping country. Like, and he was a, um, like a big Bible thumper. And he was always wanting me to hang out with him. Even when we went to Australia, I wanted me to hang out with him, but I wanted to go to the bar. And then we ended up, you know, in Kuwait and we're in Japan. And he told us, he said something to me one time and he said, Matt, he said, you got to, he goes, God is chasing after you. And I'd never heard anything like that before. Like I'd never heard language like that. I didn't understand. Yeah. I grew up Catholic. So I was like, God is what? chasing after me. Like, like God wants me. And he said, you, you keep trying to do this Christian thing on your own, but you got to remember like a Christian is like a piece of coal and it can burn and get on fire for God, but it'll only burn so hot. He goes, you have to put that piece of coal around a bunch of other pieces of coal so that they can make a fire that nothing can get close to. He goes, you need fellowship. You got to you need good friends. And he was right. I was, I was just alone and I was a hypocrite. I would like try to tell my friends while they were living wrong. And then I'd be out doing the same thing. And it just didn't make sense. So I ended up getting invited to a church around 05 and just fully gave my life to Jesus and was like, all right, I'm going to do this thing full force. And it was what you'd call a spirit filled church. So they were really big and like the Holy Spirit and miracles and gifts. And I watched things I had never seen before, like an exorcism or watching my friend be healed on the operating table, like from something that just could not happen. And I saw miracle after miracle. So it just started to be like, man, is this is this shit for real? <laughs> you know, where you're like, is this real? This is real. Like, and so, and at that time I had a vision of Colorado and living in Colorado and being involved politically in Colorado and all these things. And I couldn't shake it. It was like in my spirit, it was embedded, but it just wasn't the right time. So at the time I just let it die. And I decided to serve in that church for almost 12 years. Um, oh, I was wow. 15 years, but I decided to serve. And shortly after that, I met my wife. We even became pastors at one point. I mean, we devoted, but right around the the easiest way to summarize it, I can remember being in California. And for some reason, I just went, you know what, babe, I need to go buy some ammo. I don't know why. I just, I feel like I need to go buy some ammo. So I- That sounds like Tom every day. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why. I mean, I've got ammo, but I need more. I don't, I can't shake it. I need to go get it. So I went to go look for ammo. And I didn't realize they had passed the new law because when we got there, they wanted us to do the background check for the ammo. And because we weren't in the system, we had to pay extra to be entered into the system. So you had to pay to be yeah. entered into the system, pay for the background check and then pay for the ammo. And my father-in-law and I were like furious. And we came home and that was like the catalyst where we'd be like, you know what? Let's start <laughs> looking like where are they not going to make my children like get vaccines? That's all. I won't go down that road. But, like, where are they just going to let us do whatever we want? Where are we going to have freedom? Where can we own guns? Where yeah. we gonna... Less and... government, more freedom. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I had already had that vision in Colorado. And we decided to take a road trip in April of COVID 2020. And oh my gosh. on the road trip, we bought our house, this house. Nice. And so it's like, we were like, Oh, okay. was meant to be. It was, we had coffee across the street with our friends. They're like, Did you know the house across the street's for sale? Like, no. And so we got that's to crazy. See it before the, anyone had put an offer. We got to, I mean, it was just amazing. So, Colorado's been in my heart for years, but I'll be honest, the moment we moved here, we changed our license plates. I was like, Man, if they know we moved here from California, they'll <laughs> kill us. Like, so yeah, sorry. I go off on a little That's tangent. That's hilarious. Oh, that was awesome. Um, oh, yeah. I also, feel it. Also, my husband cannot listen to this podcast because he's going to be like, honey, I felt the need to go buy ammo. <laughs> listen, I had this vision about moving to Texas and, like, <laughs> and owning land and horses and cows. Like, Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Oh, yeah. Except for he yeah. would like definitely be coming home with all of the ammo and all of the guns and be like, but I was told by God I needed them. And then I'm going to be like, shit. it's like shoes. It's like, yeah, you know, if we're going to put on stereotypes and, you know, like like my wife could like own 800 shoes, but everyone has a different. You know, no, that is that is my purpose. husband. He different will thing. tell you yeah. all of the purposes and then he'll be like, well, but this isn't my gun. This is for our son. This is, our this, is this is for our family. And I'll I be like, it. okay. That's a good idea. The family gun. That's a really good. And then you can put it on the on the kids. This is I've got four kids. I can be like, <laughs> this is Ashlyn's gun. Or if it'd be like, yeah, she's no, that's literally what he does. Like, but imagine what it'll be. He was like. like, no, I bought this gun for Theo when he was born. And I was like, 
he's a baby. He yeah, doesn't need a gun. Is his name <laughs> Everybody wants to talk to my husband, and I it's Thomas, it. <laughs> Tom Maslin, TJ. You can find him on fa- on Instagram, and you'll just see a bunch of gun stuff. Every time, and I random photos of me and guns. my baby. It's like, yep. Feel you. We feel your pain though in California. We were stationed there. Uh, our first duty station was Pendleton, so we were there for seven mm. years, and we were never so happy to leave a place in our entire lives. <laughs> right, thank God. All you crunchy people gotta get out of here. Yeah. To mention you have to drive 45 minutes just to get off the base, let alone like yeah. I feel yeah, like. but we went from there to Hawaii. So <laughs> oh. yeah. Kaneohe. Kaneohe, yep. And then yeah. I got to go visit her in Hawaii. And she that did get fun. to visit. She did get to visit. But you want to talk about strict gun laws. You should have seen what the hoops my husband had to jump through to buy a gun there. Good lord. Oh yeah. Ten day waiting periods and everything all, all the things yes has to have a all weird the things. button on it and uh yes yep all the things but anyway mm-hmm. yes yes <laughs> but anyway you wrote a book which is awesome we love books here so tell us yeah. about your book yes i have a copy ready my fancy book called i Kill love the cover. chaos thank you yes that's actually so my mom had sent me um some old relatives who fought in world war one and a picture uh-huh. of this guy was in the photos no one knows who he is no one no one in the family can name this person Fun. but he's somehow connected to my family and he was a corpsman in world war one and wow. i thought and so the obviously the scribbling um came tr- true to what um i felt about it i'll get emotional talking about it basically well. what the book about is about is it took me about seven years when i got out to figure this out where I felt like God opened this up to me. I felt like when I got out of the Marine Corps, everybody was better at everything than me, like better at life, better at jobs, better at money, better. What a horrible feeling. Oh, it's awful. And you just feel constantly inadequate. And I didn't understand. I couldn't sit. I couldn't sit still. Like I would have to go out and spend money and do things and blah, blah, blah. And then one day I'm working with this guy in my job and he was just this big old Viking of a man, just crude Marine vet, you Love know, it. just give you the shirt off his back. But, you know, so we became close and would banter back and forth. And one day he's telling me how he wanted to leave his fiance. He had a great fiance and he was going to leave her and get back with his crazy ex. And not to be too indelicate, but, you know, he said like the sex was great and, you know, all these aspects. And I can remember getting like so angry and cussing at him and being just talking to him about what the Marine Corps did. And I realized later how I was projecting everything of me and how I felt about myself onto him. And I felt like God finally opened this up to me where I realized this connection that no one really talks about. And I don't even know if they know, but basically the Marine Corps, the army, the military, teaches us to love chaos so from the moment we get into boot camp it's from the moment you step on the yellow footprints it's chaos and it's every day and it's all day and even if a routine starts to develop they'll mess it up on purpose they don't want us complacent now they do that so that way if we go to war and people are dying that we can still get the job done we can still get the mission accomplished But the problem is, is that when you get out, when guys get out, they'll be so addicted to a life of chaos and things going wrong that they will start to subconsciously sabotage their lives. So they'll end up in like a great relationship with someone. And then part of them starts to go, something's wrong. This isn't right. No, it's right. It's fine. But to them, they're so they spent years in an environment where when things go wrong, you pride yourself on it. You're like, yes, of course things went wrong. But then suddenly you end up in a loving home, a home that's built on peace and love and laughter. And you'll just come in and stir it up and mess it up. And you'll ruin your finances, your health, your money, you'll drink, you'll isolate yourself. And so I started noticing guys doing this. It was me. I was like, I do this. And I wasn't even in combat. So I can't even imagine what guys are doing. So basically I started going along when I would meet a veteran and I would tell them exactly what I just told you. 
from a perspective of me, how it had affected me. And one by one, I watched their eyes like pop out of their head and, and just say, like, oh my God, that's yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, did you just like peek into my life? Like, I don't understand. How do you know that? Mm -hmm. And guys would start to connect it to their identity. They'd go, well, this is how I'm wired. No, it's not. That's not how you're wired. Oh, this is how I am. No, you're not. You're like, you start to say things like, oh, these civilians are fake. I just miss the brotherhood, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that might be partly true, but I guarantee that's not the reason. You're self-sabotaging because you're addicted to chaos. And wow. so I started navigating that. And I spent about two years talking with vets. And then I had one vet challenge me and he was like, it was a master sergeant. It was a retired master sergeant. He comes up to me at a conference I was at and he's with his wife. And I tell him that and his wife immediately starts just bawling, starts crying. And she Aww. goes, he's been doing what you just said for 25 years after he got out. So for 25 years, just ruining his life. And wow. so he said, he goes, you know, what you said to me was a revelation. He goes, but now what do I do? And I was convicted right then. I used to think just telling guys about the trigger was enough. Like, hey, there's this trigger. Yeah. Be aware of it. But then now he was like, well, now what do I do? And I remember thinking, man, you're right. So what I did was I approach the chaos from a spiritual perspective. Because to me, mm -hmm. as a Christian, there's very spiritual things that open up. There's a course that we run out here um, that I just got done running called Reboot. And it's helping vets overcome combat trauma. But the, the premise of it is if a person is made up of body, soul, and mind, if the body can experience trauma and the mind can experience trauma, then can the soul experience trauma? And so you have to imagine when guys are navigating very horrible situations, children dying in the streets, um, you, you know, killing many people you know, going door to door, whatever the case, whatever you witnessed, either firsthand, secondhand, those are very physical things that have happened. But now a very real spiritual door has been opened and guys can become tormented. So I have friends who, who've gone through many programs who use like psychedelics, drugs to try to navigate. But we come from the perspective of like of Jesus, of, of bringing in a spiritual aspect of how you can overcome every single trauma because from my faith, every knee must bow to him. And so that's where I come in of navigating these guys of how to take authority, how to deal with that trauma, how to come through it. And this is the path that you should walk. So what I did is just mapped out a path in the book of like, hey, this is what boot camp was like. This is what it's like as a Christian to navigate it. This is what your military uh, field training was like. This is what it's like to navigate this aspect of Christianity. And I just mapped out the same map that every military member follows of boot camp, basic field training, school training, you know, duty station billets, and just mapped it out of how they can navigate. And it's been a real blessing. Um, it get, became an approved resource for that course, helping vets overcome combat trauma. They That's awesome. Off on, yes, it was. a, And I've been hearing from vets. So one of the, my greatest things I've ever done in my life was this vet. Because if I was honest, I used to hate vets. I would be like, man, you freaking guys, all you do is talk about your service and you can't figure this <laughs> life out. And all you do is complain and all you do is blah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm projecting stuff again <laughs> onto them because I can't figure it out. And I talk about it all the time. And I, and now my heart just breaks for them. And so, yeah, that's yeah, become, yeah, I'm, I'm giving super long answers to y'all. Sorry, but that was. No, long, long answers are good. We we like long answers because then actually I, I really like the development of it. Actually, like it makes yes a lot of sense. But honestly, I'm like you could just write a book about the trigger. Yeah, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like it could have been like novels. Just the trigger. <laughs> yes, it yeah. was. And I realized. So there, if you want to go down the deep, deep road, as I started not helping vets overcome the trauma of what happened to them in service. Mm -hmm. We start to dig deep to the root of that. And what's at the root in many cases, most cases, is childhood trauma. Oh, yeah. And so I didn't realize at the time when I started navigating the book that a lot of vets experience abuse as a child, either from absent abuse. Um, there's, a, there's a book called Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You. 
where it navigates trauma from two perspectives, uh, like an absent trauma and an extreme present trauma. And so the absent trauma would be like a father who just wasn't there emotionally and what that can do to affect someone and especially daughters. Um, and then the B would be something like sexual abuse, physical abuse, something that's very extreme. And what you're finding is a lot of these vets experience the B trauma, the physical abuse as a child, um, either sexually, emotionally, physically. And what they do is they look at the military as a means to control it, as a means to yeah. overcome it. So then it ends up compounding. You have this trauma that hasn't been dealt with. Now you add war on top of it. And then you don't give them any tools to get out. I the 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 way guys get out now is like a plane going at 30,000 feet and then civilian life is at ground level and guys are just walking off the plane and they're like are we not going to descend is there no descent for 20 minutes you know like a plane's going <laughs> to descend for 45 <laughs> minutes before it reaches the right level there's not no us. Descent. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like here you go thanks for your service piss off you know good luck yeah and so it's a tra it's a tragedy they should give uh, yeah. your book out in the the class that they do at the end. I can't remember what oh. it's called. Kyle would know, but they should give your book to everybody. I it wish should be a That's resource. The That's the dream. There's there's aspects of my books that that people are not cool with. Um, well, you know, that's life. Yes, <laughs> that's and even true. like denominationally, there's Christians who are not cool with my book. Because, wow. Oh, yeah. So in in the Christian world, you could really divide it up into two camps. There's camp A and camp B. Camp A believes in like a predestination that all things happen on purpose and that God is on the throne controlling everything and that he already knows the end from the beginning and he does everything. And I think, I don't believe that. I just, I don't see that. I don't think God yeah. has pre-selected chosen thing. And I don't Especially think- Especially because if there's so much, if that was true, why is there so much trauma and like hurtful yes. things going on? Like, why would he allow- for that you know what i mean exactly and 100 and so and then on the other camp is the people who believe in we're here for a reason i'm here for a purpose and that purpose is to help people to go out and tell people how they can get saved and in this life and the next and and my prayers matter and what i do matters and my choices matter and even if things mess up that god can redeem it and so that's what he does you know there's a sinful world out there and there's just a war. I, I believe there's like a war of wills happening. Even in this call, there's what Rieta wants to happen, what Connie wants to happen, what Matt wants to happen, <laughs> what Zoom wants to happen. I mean, there's just, there's going to be- All of a sudden, like a, Zoom shuts yeah. down. <laughs> and then my goal is to come alongside with what you all want in here mm. and, to, and to, to contribute. And it's the, same, it's the same thing. So there's a lot of aspects that I talk about in Christianity of things like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and miracles and- water baptism, just things where other camps in Christianity be like, oh, brother, you wrong. Do not say such blasphemies about <laughs> the faith, you know, whatever. But so they, I'm I'm Lutheran or whatever. And um, don't give your book to my book to your church. Oh, no, my church <laughs> is pretty I'm like just I'm just joking. They're, they're pretty. They're not like as strict as like regular Lutheranists, but they always yeah. make this joke, though, about like how our like the our father prayer oh, is yeah. different from the catholic <laughs> it's like like i i don't i think he even made like that joke in the middle of my wedding i can't remember that's awesome but but like our church is really funny actually like i, I really like my church because they are they're not as closed off as it typically is yeah. like there was oh, a yeah. couple of um there was like a scandal a the woman who did the music for the church was sleeping with another guy that was not her husband and everyone's like kick her out fire her like and he and my pastor's like i can't do that we're a good christian community god forgives you can't just accidents like things happen but we can't be that kind of community center because yeah. then we'd so. all be thrown out Yes, exactly. Yeah, He's like, exactly. we can't throw stones at glass houses or whatever they say. But I always like respected my church from then on. I was like, good for you guys. And like a bunch of people left because of that. And I was like, really? Wow. You guys can't forgive. You definitely shouldn't even be here if you can't forgive. But. Oh, man. I'll, 
I, every day I debate whether like a situation that arises is going to get like Matt, the Marine or Matt, the man of God, you know, like that's like every day. Like <laughs> That's funny. Like, like, I, I every, love that. Everything. It's like a war of like, I'm going to have to pose that to my husband. I mean, he's not super like, I mean, he believes certain things, but he's not, but I'm like, do you have, do you ever have this? Now? What, he's probably going to say the Marine wins. Decide which Kyle am I going to be today? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty like, sure he's going to say the oh. Marine always wins. <laughs> like it. Oh yeah. I just get so, I get so worked up and then like, but then I fall into the same category. It's like, man, I, that person, yeah. just seems to be, that person, you it's hard. Once you know a person's story, things change. Like there might Absolutely. be out, someone out there hurting people and doing damage. But then suddenly mm-hmm. when you hear a story about how they lived in a cage as a child and their parents abused them and mm-hmm. hurt them. And then now it's like, oh, wow. Now I have, now I have compassion for this horrible human being. Like, you know, it's yeah. just this. And so I'm, I give props to your pastor. That is not easy. Like, but that's the right thing to do. If that person is repent, repenting and wants to yes. come back into alignment, like, oh my gosh, like the other people can take a hike, like go, go find another church. Yep. Here, right? Well, and, and mean, and like, he was getting a lot of pressure from big money donors too. Uh, and he was like, we can't do that. We are forgiving. What does that say about me? If I fire her, right. Yeah. That, that shows that I am not forgiving and I'm not living in the path of God. Plus, I mean, he also, you, you shouldn't listen to the crowd. Like that's not the purpose. No. Well, either. but I mean, that's, but it's, I mean, it's part of his job as pastor. You have to listen to everybody. Right. As far as I know, pastor can't tell you to just go. Well, no, you right. have to listen to people, but that doesn't mean you have to do what do it. Oh yeah. To do. Of course. Of course. Which he did. And he's the leader. He gets to decide on what's going on. Did you all see the, the Jesus revolution movie that just came out? No. no, highly recommended, but it's the okay. true story of Chuck Smith in like the seventies when he was a very strict pastor, very, you know, traditional and how he opened up his church to the hippies and the hippies at that time were hated really? by the traditional oh. Christians, the suit okay. wearing, All right. Bible holding, you know, yeah. but how he was just convicted about. Okay. Where their- can I watch it though? Oh, I think it's on Prime. I think it's on. Prime? I rented it oh, okay. on Prime for like six bucks. Like, oh, okay, okay. cool. And then I wasn't sure. There's so many streaming services. Oh, so like, many. Okay, where's this? So where's this at? <laughs> at the end, I ended up paying for cable anyways because I have 13 streaming services. So it's like right. <laughs> pretty much. But he, he well. was really convicted. He said something. He's like, all these these hippies that are going on a journey. They're going on a journey for identity. So to me, like not to even go down the deep road of like, to me, like the trans community, like breaks my heart, like, like, like my niece and nephew or two of, so like the connection of, I, we, they were really poured into of how they were in the wrong body and they were the wrong person and they were the wrong this and they're, they're, they're just wrecked. And I get breaks my heart because where some churches might have like skewed the view of Christianity of what it should be. At the core of Christianity is that, no, you are priceless. Do you not realize that in the entire creation of the universe, there will never be another you, that you are valuable Mm -hmm. beyond measure, that you have a purpose that only you are here to do. Like, that's the language I feel that is missing. Like my kids, like, no, you are fearfully and wonderfully made that there's going to be a destiny that you have that you are going to crush. Like, that's like the what what people need in their soul is someone to oh yeah and it just breaks my heart because i think it just like in the jesus revolution movement where the hippies were doing drugs and looking for their identity that's what i see is right now is that their people feel broken they don't know how to navigate this world they're looking for their identity but someone my old pastor used to say you can never find your identity until you look in the face of god and it was like just this like moment of like wow and yeah. so I, I spent most of my life in the Catholic church just being like, yeah, this ain't it. And, um, my mom is deeply Catholic. So we were get, two days ago, we were on the couch going at it again on Mary's, virgin, Mary's virginity and the Eucharist oh, and confession and priests and everything, all and the things, all the things. Ooh. So, um, 
but I just get super passionate about it. I've, I've become like the Ned Flanders of the Marine Corps, you know? Like, <laughs> I love that. That should be your, your catchphrase or your hashtag or something. It. You know, <laughs> so funny. I, I think something about it though has allowed me to, I guess, help and minister to men that I would never normally get on with. There's, as I walked with God, I discovered who I am at my core. And that confidence gave me something I didn't have before. And what that allowed me to do is to just be my real self in all things. And people can smell that, you know, like, like when I, when I come across vets, especially vets, if you're trying to help a vet overcome combat trauma, man, they are going to smell through your bullshit faster than anything. And so, but just like being able to just be the real you and how God made you to be has been I felt like I used to have to put on a front. I used to try to present myself this certain way and I want people to like me and I want them to think that I follow football. I don't care about football. I don't even follow it. I couldn't name five players probably right now. And so like, <laughs> but that just, I spent years trying to be something yeah. that I'm not. I don't like, you want to talk Marvel movies? You want to talk Marvel movies? I will talk Marvel movies all day. You want to talk <laughs> all the zombies? Yeah, I will talk it all day. <laughs> but that's just- yeah where I think a lot needs to be talked about. So no, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I actually just had a similar conversation with a writer friend of mine. She's like, Oh, I'm writing this book, but I feel like it's already been done. And I'm like, no, it hasn't been done because nobody, but you can write this version of it. Even if it's been done before, what Amy did is not the same as what you are doing. She was like, you never know where that book will end up in the hands of someone that the other book never would. Exactly. That's awesome. And what's the harm anyway? Sorry. Yeah. What's the harm? Yeah, exactly. What's the harm? What's what's I mean, nobody's going to be like, oh, no, another book. (laughs) Yeah. Darn it. Because if you think about it, there are a million books that are similar to a a million other books. Like it's hard for them to be completely 100 percent unique, you know, because there's only so many types and you know what I mean? That you can do in general. Sorry. I love it. Oh, yeah. You want to know the title of the book? Yes. What was the book? I'm going to take my hoodie off here. She hasn't written it yet because that was stopping her. She's like, I can't write this. It's already been done. And I'm like, are you insane? Write it. Like, what oh, are you like? Connie knows I'm the I'm oh, the she is. write your book person. I'm like, don't don't not write your book because you think it's already been done. I mean, yeah. Because I had a couple of dreams that were really good dreams, and I wrote them down in my like notes on my phone. They're still there, and um, Rietta every day. So have you written them? They're really good <laughs> dreams. You should write that. Really? You should. Da- what, you, are you writing? How how much have you written today? And I'm like, absolutely fucking nothing. Okay, Rietta. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you like, know, one day. You know the the best thing I'd say about writing. Well. I published it through Amazon Prime, which was one of the best decisions ever. It's the best. But you know, the hardest thing about writing the book, honestly, was just the structure of what what was going to go where. Like, what is what was going to be the first chapter? What was going to be the third chapter? What what how yeah. is it flow? And that that took me forever to just be yeah. like, oh, what am this I going to? How talk I about? want it to go? Yeah, this is yeah. this is going to be the flow, and this is how it's going to go. Once that was there, then it was just like. The moment my kids would go down to sleep, I remember thinking, oh, I just want to play PlayStation, but I guess I'll just <laughs> see head- and like put the headphones on and zone well, out. see, I write fiction, so it's totally different. Like I'm not plotting anything out and I don't plot in any way. Like I'm a pantser. So people ask me like, oh, what's going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. Character hasn't told well, me yet. I'm finding I'll- out when you find out. Yeah, I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I actually yeah. have a really angsty veteran marine right now that's going through the ish and i'm like he keeps giving me more and i'm like this book is gonna be really dark but it's all right <laughs> i can't wait i love it I- yeah maybe that was my problem rietta is because i tried plotting it out and i didn't just let it like come to me but then i was like too worried about like messing certain character traits up because it was going to be three books and i was worried about like them intertwining too much like confusing characters and stuff so like i was writing everything down too diligently maybe in the end it like it wasn't really coming to me when i actually went to sit down and write it i could write out the plot of it like kind of sort of like in bullet points but like not the full book 
if that makes any sense. See, everybody's like, different. When I went to write, I was like, eh, I don't know what I want to say anymore. I have friends that plot out the entire thing from start to finish. We're like, if I do that, I'm I'm bored and I don't want to write it because I already know what happened. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't like can't yeah. do that. So everybody's different. Some people plan it like to the T. They know exactly what's going to happen. This scene is here and that scene's there. Like, and I can't do that because yeah. I'm like, I already know what happens. I'm tired of this. I don't want to write this. <laughs> yeah, that was me then, I guess. <laughs> oh. I've decided oh. that that was me. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it again a different way. Yeah, same. Same, 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 same. Maybe one Anyway. <laughs> anyway, oh, back to Matt now. <laughs> I love oh, so Matt. It's great. It's great. So Matt, ja- about when you were talking about how like, it comes from trauma from from your book like the catalyst is the trauma it's really funny we were talking to an australian um army vet and he said yeah the biggest difference i've noticed is in your military all these guys are really deeply like damaged and hurt you know like there are a lot of people escaping and they're using the military to escape whatever trauma, whatever's going on at home. That's what they're using your military for. And and our military isn't like that. And I was like, really? Wow. But when you said it, I was like, oh, my God. We just had a guy on who was literally talking about this. Yep, we did. Tragedy. I I, I don't know the exact answer, but if I had to put, some, put it on something, I think this is one of the first times in America's history that the veterans quickly started questioning the reasons for why we were in certain places. You know, I can remember yep. 11 happening. Everyone's motivated. Let's go kill Ben oh, Laden. Yeah. Then 03, we get out. 05, 07. It's like, we're still in Afghanistan, still going, still going, still going. And then one by one, me and a lot of my vet friends were like, wait, why were we over there? And then guys now like lose a leg and then see us just leave Afghanistan and all our gear left over there and all our equipment and all. Yeah, that's insanity. And then, you know, the rest just come in and take over. And it's just, I think it's one of the first times where. I kind of feel like time was wasted almost. Yeah. And I'm I'm already a huge conspiracy nut as it is. I mean, we could talk. Oh, what's your conspiracy? Oh, my big conspiracy? Oh, man. I love it. Birds aren't real. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> We're going Elvis down a rabbit never hole. died. I'm just teasing. Like, I was literally trying to convince my mom about Building 7 the other day. I was like, Mom, Building 7 just did not fall, okay? Like, so I'm already that guy. But I think when you, when you start to go down the rabbit hole of these warmongers, these elites, these people that push... You know, they need the defense contracts. They want the defense contracts. They're oh, yeah. going to get the defense contracts. You know, they're going to, you have these lobbyists in place. You have, you have a humongous machine that is going to boost the economy one way or another. And that is going to be through the easiest way we know how, which is war. And we're really good at it. And I think it's one of the first times that vets start to be like, nah, this ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it. Like. I'm they're not buying it anymore. And no. And I mean, the proof is in the recruitment right now. Recruitment is except for the Marine Corps. It is down in every other branch. uh, It drives me nuts. I, I think I feel like my generation was one of the last generations that just adores America. I love this country. I still think America is the greatest country. I still believe in America and what she stands for. And teach that yes. to my kids and all that good stuff. And it's sad to to think about this generation. You're not the last because I married my husband and he's oh, like a nut for it. So you're yeah, not the last. Don't worry. Cell phone after this, we are going to talk. Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, because when you were talking about conspiracies, I was like, yeah, that my husband convinced my, my mother-in-law and got him, her really into conspiracies. Yes. <laughs> like and it almost became like funny. Like how oh, much man. he got her into conspiracy. Now, like all the time, she'll like randomly in our family group chat just like talk about. <laughs> Did you hear about this random conspiracy? And we're like, oh my god, that's so good. It's <laughs> I I can remember dating my wife and my wife. We were going out somewhere, and I remember her coming up to me. We were going out with some friends, and she comes up to me and she goes, 
can you please not bring up 9-11 at dinner? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny as hell. And I was like, but then I remember maybe three years ago, she came up to me and she goes, you were right. I just want you to know you were right about all of it. Did you record her when she said that? Because you should have really. (laughs) But now I can't even keep up with everything she knows. Now I don't, I can't even, I'm like, babe, I can't go down this rabbit hole. I'm still on like, four other rabbit holes over here, like of trying to discover, you know, area 51 and, you know, whatever, you know, whatever we're talking about. And so see, the thing for me that's worse is my husband comes home and he'll be like, so I got something to tell you, but you can't tell anybody. And I'm like, that's fun. Do you not like, know that no I'm, fun. <laughs> I'm going to tell everyone on the podcast. I'm like, God, well, well, luckily we uh, interview people and we don't just sit here talking about uh conspiracies as of yet maybe that'll be our next podcast maybe this it's where it all started from this weird (laughs) christian dude in his bedroom we're just gonna have we're gonna have matt back every month to be like all right what's the what's what's the the new conspiracy oh on my instagram i have my followers and my buddies and i posted i said that's it fine let's do it name any conspiracy and I'll tell you what I think about it. And my, it just blew up. Everyone was oh, I bet it did. I wish I could me about see all that. these ones. And I had to, took me forever to respond to be like, Oh, well, I, I think this on this one and maybe Look not on you that responding one. to everybody though. What a champ. I know. It's... I wish I would have been your follower for that. that <laughs> oh, it was great. fun. I'm tempted to do it again. Although, you know, anyone who follows me, I have to go, just be prepared. You're going to get like, you're going to get a post about my family and then a post about, you know, the conspiracy, conspiracy and then my family and then some food that I eat and then a conspiracy. It's just yes. there's no little God sprinkled in there. You know, it's all yeah, a little God sprinkled in there. And, and then we'll, that that's pretty much it. Do you have conspiracies about God? Conspiracies about God. Uh, maybe no direct conspiracies about God, but definitely the Vatican. Okay. Okay. That you know that's close enough. That's like yeah. the brother. You know. Oh man, my my like the guy next journey door. was interesting. I think going from a Catholic church to where I was at, you know, in San Diego, I I'll tell you, the moment I I mentioned it earlier, but when the moment I saw my friend become healed from something, I think something shifted in me where. Mm-hmm. You just now things change. I can remember um, even my wife, my wife, when we were pregnant with our twins, they said, listen, we want you to spend the night in the hospital. We're not liking what's going on with one of your twins, twin A, and you know, her heart and this and this. And my wife called me. So what should we do? And I said, what did they say it was? I said, okay, well, now we know what we need to pray for. And I said, come home, we'll spend one night and then we'll go back to the hospital tomorrow. So she came home that night and I took oil and I anointed her belly and we took Aww. a and prayed over that thing that it would come under the blood of Jesus, that it would come under, into alignment with what we declared in his name. And we went back to the hospital the next day and the doctor walks in and she goes, well, true story, almost verbatim says, well, I'm glad you didn't listen to me because your ultrasound now looks like it's from a completely different person. And wow, she had no idea. She had no explanation, no nothing. And that's amazing. Perfectly healthy. I could sit here for the next three hours telling stories like that. I do at some point want to hear the exorcism story because like the horror person in me yes oh yeah like spiritual person in me is both like what happened so was it like the exorcist (laughs) is is the question 100 percent. it's it's a lot like it so there's a guy out of new zealand and he was a big inspiration for a lot of what i talk about in the book and he used to when he got baptized in the holy spirit that's the big connection that determines like the power and the miracles is that aspect of Christianity that some churches don't talk about. Some do. And that to me was the critical factor. So he was baptized in the Holy ghost and he was a physics teacher and he started praying over the chairs in his room every day. It's like father in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you for this room. I curse any demonic spirits operating over here. I take authority. I thank you. My kids will be able to learn 
Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. God, let your presence. I mean, just like every day yeah. over the chairs. And then one day, these two girls walk past his room and go, Mr. Connell. And they, well, they pretty much, <laughs> they, they go, Mr. Connell, why is it every day we walk past your room, our bodies just start trembling and they start shaking? What? And he, he didn't understand at first, but he realized that he had created an environment where the presence of God was coming into it. He was, he was mm -hmm. creating. Yeah. And when these girls had these things attached to them, were walking past, they could recognize the presence of God and became terrified and wow. it manifested through their bodies. So he began his ministry after that. And I can remember him coming to our church and I went up to on the altar to get prayer and my friend went with me and him and I both were interns at our church. So we're basically like volunteer working at our church and him and I both come up to pray, get prayer from this guy. And he comes and he stands in front of my friend and my friend loses it and starts to, tries to punch him in the head. And it took six oh people God. to hold him down. Six people. Hold him down. His, his face started like contorting and I remember looking over at him. I remember like I had my hands in the air. So I remember just going, it's not like, me. Like, <laughs> I didn't do it. Like, what the heck is happening? And he started, his face was contorting and he started whispering, help me. And it took all these people to hold him down. And obviously the guy just took authority and prayed over him. But there was one that I remember sticking out of a lady who used to come to our church. She was a lady who had helped us buy our ring. She was always put together. She was always um, hair done right, everything, older lady. And I remember he came in and he went to pray for one woman. And when he touched her face, she started writhing like a snake. And he said something to the effect of like, um, you know, Jesus is going to set you free. And she either cursed, but this voice came out of her that I'd never heard before. And it was like, mm -hmm. Like just this. And then great. the lady, when he went to pray for her, this lady who was put together all the time, fell on the ground. And I've never seen someone convulse the way that she convulsed. And this is someone I've saw her all the time. It was never like that. And it was like that through the whole room of people just losing it, like these things. And wow. so where where I can tell you this is the difference is before I became a Christian, I would watch a horror movie. And I would become scared. I would become frightened. I would be to this place of like, ooh, I don't want to like piss off the ghosties know, or whatever. You know, like I'm just going <laughs> to stay over here and, you know, just mind my own business. And, you know, I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. You know, that was kind of like my, my thing. But then suddenly when I became baptized in the Holy Ghost, there was like a new level of Christianity where suddenly they were terrified of what I had. It's like when I walked into a room, so I can remember being at a dinner with these guys one time and they were all of a different denomination. They weren't really down with the way we believed. But I said, you guys don't get it. I said, when I walk out of this room, when I walk out of this restaurant, everything is subject to me, not because of I'm boasting, but because of identity. You understand as a Christian, you're not just saved. He's not just your Lord. He's your father. And as your father, you can come boldly before the throne of grace. And that means wherever you go in the kingdom, your voice carries the same weight as the king. It means when you speak, they see you as the king's son. It means that it's we're not just going around. And suddenly I realized that they, meaning in the demonic world, are terrified of us oh, when gosh. we have him. It's ex You know what it's exactly like? Uh -huh. It's exactly like the movie Monsters, Inc., Monsters Inc. <laughs> is Christianity yes. to a core. The snake followed Boo around everywhere and she was terrified. She was terrified until suddenly she came to the realization, the realization she didn't need yeah. to be afraid of the snake anymore. And that's when Sully snatched it up by the throat. And it's a great movie too. Oh, <laughs> it's a great movie. One of the best. And he goes, Classic. Oh, she's not afraid of you anymore. And so not to go down a huge tangent, but I witnessed a ton where you go, wow, this is, this is real. Like this is not a, not just, not just something we talk about anymore. Now I can't hide from it. And it, but yeah. it suddenly became exciting. Sorry. 
Well, no, I mean, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, scary, scary movies are pretty great when they do the exercise. <laughs> what was it? The was the last right? I can't remember. Oh, I can't anyway. even do it. I won't even do it. So I'll tell you a quick story. I love them all. <laughs> I watched the some Ted Bundy thing with my wife. Oh, um, yeah. Those I, are some good ones. It. Oh, uh-huh. but for us, I can remember putting my son to sleep and something fell off in the room. I remember putting him down going, something's wrong. I So I remember just kind of praying. And I came back in the room with my wife and she said, you know, we finished it and it was Man, it was awful. We're talking about this just atrocity yeah. I did and everything. And but we get done, and my wife just goes, uh. She goes, Can you just pray over the house? I just feel like I need to pray. So I did. And the next morning, my son had a dream. And he came up to me and he told me that he had a dream where in the dream, these monsters grabbed him and they threw him into a prison. And they were punching him and kicking him. And they wouldn't let him out of the prison until he gave the password, which was 666 to get out of the prison. What? Wow. And I realized how convicted I was right then of how I allowed this thing to speak in faith in my home. I gave it authority. I put it on and let it to speak everything it wanted to speak into my home. And now a door, a door was opened that let, I gave it, a, it's like the Lost Boys, you know, like when the vampires are outside and they're like, they're, they can't come in unless you let them in, you know, that's what yep. it was. And so I realized then we had to pray over the home and and then I just became, don't get me wrong, we've watched plenty of crap where we're like, that's eh, borderline, maybe I'll, you know, I'll pray afterwards, you know, like, you know, we you go down that road. But I realized just how real the spiritual world is and how I like, if when I traveled for work, when I go to a hotel, if I do not pray over that hotel, that room and that bed, I have the most graphic, disturbing dreams. Oh, I, God. He's like I, waiting for you ugh. to let your guard down. He's like, yeah, it's not on it tonight. That's crazy. I There's an I, army. Ranger. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I relate to that because, um, like I said, we lived in Hawaii and Paniohe Bay, obviously. A lot of ish happened there. A lot of stuff with World War II, a lot of stuff with spirituality, bodies were moved around. I slept like shit the entire time we lived in Hawaii. And it didn't really hit me until we moved here. And I started sleeping like a rock. And I was like, something was happening yes. in Hawaii. And I told like my the husband classroom, the other night. The opposite. Yes. I told I told my husband, I was like, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because all this land was disturbed because there's literally still like you can find teeth in the sand and on Kaneohe Bay from World War II. So it's like I told him, I'm like, something was happening because I've never slept bad really in my entire life. And I could not for the life of me sleep in Hawaii. Yes. I I have a friend of mine. He's an army. He's a retired you know, army ranger. And we talked a lot about my book. I I gave him my book months ago and rocked his world where he said, man, he's had, he's had things like physically encounter him, like spiritual forces, like where he's encountered it in the room, knock him over, you know, that level of like, um, attacks and things. And we talked a lot about how we navigated and a lot of it stemmed from, um, different places and well, one specific place, which I guess I won't name, but. He talked about how my book and so he learned, obviously, become saved, get baptized and how to pray over the room. And he was telling me one, he goes, I went to this thing and it was the longest I've ever slept in my entire life because <laughs> he could never sleep. He'd wake up screaming, wake up Ugh. in terrors. And it was the first wow. time he was able to just really sleep. So I 100% believe it. And I've experienced it. And I, it happened the last time my family and I went on a trip, I forgot. And I woke up and I just went, oh my gosh, uh, immediately had to pray. Never happened again. There you go. <laughs> this is getting deep. See? Yeah. Is, well, I like it though. I love back to some love all that you know, stuff. Conspiracies here. Yeah. So. Yeah. So can we get some final thoughts for our listeners? Yes. Final thoughts for the listeners. I would say for anyone in active duty, 
I always come back to probably the church and the decisions. There's so many decisions I wish I would have made differently in the act duty, just how important and responsible I should have taken things. But I would say having a really good person around you, really good mentor, a really good group of people. I had great friends in the Marine Corps, but when I got out, it was the church that really established a great community for me, a good place. And so that would be probably my, my final thoughts. Um, Great church, great Jesus. There you go. That that would be my, my thoughts from, from Ned <laughs> like Flanders. Conspiracies <laughs> and exorcisms. <laughs> Listen, is there anything more fun to talk about? That's it. Uh, and guns. And guns. The, gun, yes. guns. the guns made me move. I love yes. it. HK VP9. No, no. That's the way. This is the <laughs> All way. All right. <laughs> Exactly. This is the way. See you guys next episode. Thank you for joining us. And uh, this is how to deal when shit gets real. We'll see y'all next episode.